0: Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Um, I want to tell you a story that's a little bit unflattering for me, which I have found you like the best. You like the stories where I am definitely, definitely, definitely not the hero. Uh, and so I want to tell you this story because it makes this excellent point. Back in the days when I, before we had kids and I was an airline pilot, Jerry and I used to travel all over the world because it was cheap when we did it. We would pay the taxes and we can go to international destinations. Fantastic. Well, one of these places we went early, early on was Ireland. Have you ever been to Ireland? It's beautiful. You should go. Uh, It's expensive, too. You should earn some money before you go. (laughs) We went to Ireland, and it was just, I mean, green forever. We rented a car. They drive on the wrong side of the road, by the way. You'll see the humor in why I just said it that way here in a minute. Um, And uh, we rented a car, and I learned to drive on the wrong side of the car, on the wrong side of the road. That was a terrifying experience, especially the first time I hit an intersection and didn't know which side of the road to drive on. Um... (laughs) Internal panic, lots and lots and lots of internal panic until I ended up on the wrong side of the road. Um, we, we, as part of our car rental, we got one of these, these GPS that they called a never lost, except for they say a never lost. <laughs> it's never lost, and it would, it would take you on roads that I didn't know were roads. Here, we call them like, you know, it just runs through a field. It's like, hey, turn right here. I'm like, I don't know where, oh, we're going this way. It was beautiful. It was so much fun. Well, as we do, in every time we would go on a vacation, we had to go to a gift shop. Because one of the things in our family that has become common is if we go somewhere, Jerry has to buy a magnet for her mom of where we've been. So if you ever go to her mom's house, there are magnets from everywhere that we've been. So we're in this gift shop in Ireland, and I'm like wandering around, and I came across a world map. And I was like, wow, this world map is wrong. It's wrong. Now, I don't mean it was wrong like, you know, that Canada was not on top of the United States or like it was like out of order, you know, or like they changed the names of countries or anything. When I say it was wrong, it was oriented wrong. In the middle of this world map was the country of Ireland, and you and I know that that's not the center of the world. (laughs) So it was like tilted. And I called Jerry over and I was like, look at this, this map is wrong. And she was like, I, I, I don't think it's wrong. And I was like, no, it is. And you know what happened inside of me? Inside of me, here's what happened. This is true confessions. I was like, oh, we make the map right and send the wrong ones around the world. Everybody's like, you're a jerk. This was years ago. This, I have had some healing since then. I was like, oh, they send the maps that are wrong around the world, and they sell them at a discount. (laughs) So you can probably get a right map if you pay a little bit more money, or you come to the United States, and then you get one that's right. Now what you all see here is something that I now see, at the time I didn't see, was that I had grown up with this sort of... Ethnocentrism, do you know this word? Have you heard this word? It's like we tend to make our own culture the center of the world. And then what we do with making our own culture the center of the world is we judge every other culture as inferior because it doesn't measure up to our culture, which is what I was doing, right? This map is wrong and we send all the wrong maps around the world because they're lesser than and they don't need right maps unless they want to pay, right? This is the the thought. Now, what I want you to understand is, I didn't construct this ethnocentric view. Like, I didn't go, you know what, I'm going to decide that every other country in the world is wrong, and we're right. I absorbed it honestly. Because I had never really left this place. And if you've never really left this place, this sounds normal, right? This sort of thing sounds like, of course... That's what would happen. Of course the United States is in the middle of the, the globe. Of course. That makes sense. I didn't choose this worldview, this ethnocentric worldview. I absorbed it. And you know, this, is, this happens to us. It doesn't have to just be a global thing. If you grew up in a place where you never met anybody different than you. I grew up in a, in a school where I was majority white we were anybody who was not white was like oh nice I just thought white was right I grew up feeling that way and it wasn't until later when I got surrounded by other people and I was like oh wait a minute that's just a culture what I've absorbed is just a culture it's just one perspective that doesn't mean it's right And just because yours is different doesn't make yours wrong. It's one perspective. And here's the thing we all sort of absorb the culture around us. It's the water we swim in. And so I'm not standing here saying, well, if you have, if you have this one cultural belief, well, you're just bad or wrong, or we're going to condemn you. What I'm saying is we absorb this stuff because it's the culture we swim in. It just comes naturally. You didn't build it. You didn't construct it. It just comes naturally. Here's the scary part. We staple this onto our Christianity as if it's normal. It's a terrible thing that we staple onto our our Christianity. We read all of the Bible. We read this whole book through the lens of our own culture. Which means there are things in this book that we don't see that we actually need different cultural perspectives and different ways of looking at the world to actually understand what Scripture says. We tend to elevate our own culture. Have you ever seen this in yourself? Have you ever come face-to-face with your own cultural bias? If you haven't, may I suggest you travel the world? I could tell you all kinds of stories, and I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to for the sake of the fact that you don't want to be here, you don't want to give away your whole extra hour. I saw this meme this morning. (laughs) This is what an extra hour of sleep does. I saw this meme this this morning. It said, hey, we all turned our clocks back. So preacher, that means you get to preach an extra hour. Nobody thought that was funny. Okay. (laughs) Everybody's like, wait, is he going to do that? So we began this series that we are calling Kingdom Justice last week, and it's in uh, parallel with our One Day to Feed the World campaign. And I told you last week, we're anchoring this series in Micah 6.8, which we talked about last week, but let me read it for you. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And last week, what we talked about out of this passage... Was that there's been this 150 at least year division between those in the church who believe it's all about salvation, forgiveness, repentance, and a personal relationship with Jesus. And those on the other side who say there should be social action from Christians. And we both look at each other with suspicion. And what I said last week is that that division doesn't actually exist in scripture. It's a division that we have created and at the end of the message last week, we talked about that, that people who follow Jesus are people who have experienced the radical mercy of God and that that propels them into justice action. So we talked about last week, and where I said last week that this stuff, the context in the Bible for all of this is among the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And what I want you to see today Is it God's desire for everyone who follows Jesus is that we would be bridge builders so that those who are far from him and those who are in other cultures would find their way to him. That we are to be bridge builders. God's people are to have God's heart for foreign people. I'm calling this message, How Should We Think About Foreigners? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just confess, even again, as I do every morning, that I have no business speaking to your people, and yet, Lord, you've called me. And so I ask, Jesus, that you would fill me with your words and with your heart, that what would come through is what you want us to hear. Lord, would you speak to us as we look at your word, as we explore what it is to have your heart, Lord, I pray that you would get a hold of us. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you inhabit this place? Touch us, Lord, change us, fill us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy, talking is hard. In your Bible, it'll look like this, it's the fifth book of the Bible, it's early on. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and while you're turning there, let me catch you up to what's happening in this place. Early on, God calls a people for himself, this nation of Israel, this family. He says, you're gonna be my people. And why are you my people? Because you're special? No, you're the least, you're not special, but you're special because I love you. These people are enslaved in Egypt. And so he calls them to himself and he rescues them from slavery. And he takes them to, to this mountain. He says, now that I've rescued you, I will be your God, you will be my people. And if you agree to the terms of this, this covenant, this agreement, here's how I want you to live. I want you to live as people who demonstrate what I'm like into the world. And so, he, you know, hands of Moses these t- tablets, right? Have you seen this thing? And, and Ma- Moses comes down, and you've seen the pictures, right? Like the, the movie, the cinema, carrying the big stones of the Ten Commandments. That's, in my mind, that's what it's like. It's probably like way less way less dramatic than that. Um, But in my mind, that's what it's like. So we'll just pretend. And so Moses comes down and he tells the nation of Israel, these are the terms. It's written in stone. These are the terms of the agreement. God will be your God and you will be God's people. If you agree to these terms, this is the way you are to live in this agreement. And so then they make, this, they, they make the agreement, they're, they're wandering to this place that God is going to give them, this land that God has promised to make them a, a great nation. And they're on their way, and like a lot of us, they become complainers. And they complain about everything, and they're like, Have you brought us into the desert to kill us? We were better off enslaved, we ate better. And eventually, Moses, in, in his own frustration as any leader, if you've ever been a leader of people, you, you get frustrated by the people that you lead at times. Not that that's me, but that's other leaders. Um, that never happens here, right? We all love each other and there's never any problems. Um, just, I'm just tasting every rabbit, man. Every rabbit. Every um, rabbit. So Moses is leading these people. He gets really, really frustrated, and he disobeys God in his frustration. And so God says, you're not going to enter the land. I'll let the people eventually enter the land. You, Moses, will never see the land. And so Moses is about to lead them into the land, and they get close. And Moses knows his time is about done. And so he preaches one last message to the nation of Israel, which is what we have in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And what he says in this message is remain faithful and obedient to the covenant. Remain faithful. And here's what he says. We're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy 10, beginning of verse 12. This is Moses speaking. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you... Those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. If you attentively read through the Bible. And you pay attention to the things that capture God's heart over and over and over. What you will see is that God has this bend Toward the people who are not his people. Constantly. Over and over and over. Every time he bends towards the people who are not his people. He loves his people. But his eyes and his heart are always captivated by those who don't yet know him. They're always captured. His concern is always to those who are not part of the family. He's constantly pulled toward the outsider. Toward those who make maps wrong. He's constantly pulled... Just trying to wake you up, Stephen. Don't get me wrong. God loves the insiders. God loves his people. It's just that he's constantly aware of the people who are not yet here. Constantly. He's constantly aware of the people who are not yet in the family. So for example, let me show you some examples. Leviticus 23, God is instructing the nation of Israel about how to harvest their fields. Here's what he says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Why not? Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. There is a way he provides for his people. And yet part of the way that he provides for his people is he says, don't harvest all of it. Leave it for the foreigner. That the way he he provides for his people is to also make provision for those who are not yet part of his people. Or let's look at another one, Leviticus 19. He says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He says, it's not enough for you to just tolerate foreigners. It's not enough for you to just not mistreat foreigners. He says love them like your own. Love the people who are among you who are not your own as if they were. We could keep going. Bless you. We could keep going. I mean, I could show you these all day. We could spend here spend the rest of the time all day doing this. But let's let's look at one more. Want to? It'll be fun. You're like, "It feels like a trap." Every time you say that, Derek, it feels like a trap. Ezekiel 47, verse 21 says, You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Check this out. In whatever tribe a foreigner resides... You are to give them their inheritance, declares the Sovereign Lord. Not only does God require the nation of Israel to love foreigners and to leave some crops there, but what he says is, those who are foreigners among you also get inheritance as if they're native-born. Those who are from somewhere else, you love them the way that you love your own and you provide for them the way that you provide for your own, do you get the point? The point is, God loves the insiders, but he's constantly bent towards those who are far from him. Constantly. Over and over and over. And some of you would say, well, yeah, you know, you you guys do this. Every time you want to talk about justice and mercy, you just preach out of the Old Testament. It's not just an Old Testament phenomenon. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Jesus is getting ready to leave in Acts 1, and he says this. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This good news is not just good news for the Israelites, it's not just good news for those in Jerusalem or even the weirdos in Samaria, it's good news for everybody to the ends of the earth. The weirdos comment, and it's like, if you know biblical context, you'll understand it. Otherwise, you'll have to just look it up. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is good news, not just for those who originally thought it was theirs. It's for everybody. The good news of Jesus is for everybody. There's no limit. And it's all aimed at this end that John captures in Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 Verse 9 says this, After this, I looked, and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see the picture I'm painting for you? That God is always on a mission for those who are not yet part of the family. And the end is that people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that's everybody, would be his people. That's the aim. That they're all gonna be his people, that that's the hope is that they will all worship him. And the way that God draws foreigners to himself is through care and provision. Some of you don't understand why that would be a big deal. He doesn't say get your stuff together first and then I will provide for you. He provides for you as a way to have an invitation to a relationship. So check it out. Verse, uh, back in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality And accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And loves the foreigner residing among you. Giving them food and clothing. He loves them by providing for them. That's how he does it. He provides for them. Says he loves the foreigner and provides them what they need. Food and clothing. But then verse 19 something strange happens. What happens is God extends this invitation to his people that doesn't feel like an invitation. It feels like a mandate, but it's an invitation. Check it out. It it doesn't feel optional, but it has implications depending on your response. Verse 19 says, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Now, this is an invitation. It may not feel like an invitation, but it is. He says, I'm going to take care of the foreigners among you. God says, I'm just always going to do that. I'm going to take care of the foreigners. And you who are my people, you should join me in that endeavor because that's what it means to be my people. Will you join me? That's the invitation. Will you join me? And the implication is, if you don't want to do what God is doing, what does that say about the relationship that you have? He says, I'm always going to take care of these people. Will you also take care of these people? And the answer that you give has huge implications for what your relationship with God is like. If you don't respond by taking care of the foreigners among you, the implication is that you're not God's people. Do you see this? It's like in the book. It's, It's right here. It's in the book. I promise. i just talk out of this book. It's right there. Friends, the reality is that God is going to care for the foreigner among us, always. If you want to know where God is, he's among the foreigners, he's among the poor, he's among the immigrants, of the, the orphans, the widows, he's among those who are on the margins. He's going to take care of those people, and his question is, will you join me there? And if you won't, whatever else you think you're doing, we're not in that type of a relationship that's what he's going to do. Do you see that? Often we talk about caring for foreign people, and the first thought that we have in the Christian world is, well, I'm going to sell my house, quit my job, join a mission agency, and I'm going overseas, right? Isn't that what we think? That's like, and that is a way that God takes care of foreign people. That, that you know, some of you in this room, maybe God will call to mission work, to leave this place and to go somewhere. But that's not the primary way that he works with his church. The majority of people are people to whom God sends the foreigner. Most of us in this room are not going to leave this country to be Christians somewhere else. Some of you will. Most of you will not. But to most of you, God will send the world that you might actually join him in this mission of caring for foreign people near to you. Those of you who are on the campus, you see this, right? God sends the nations to Penn State. I can't tell you how many people from different parts of the world that I have driven in an Uber car from different parts of the world. I have met people in this city who are here from parts of Africa live here we have people who are foreign to this place who live here and the question to all of us is will we care for and love those people you don't have to go anywhere it's literally right here will we do that I think that's the invitation that God gives to us. I'm going to push pause. I'm going to call time out. Ready? So time out. I want you to take an emotional temperature right now. Like just sort of like, how do I feel right now? Because here's what happens when we talk about this. I'm reading out of the Bible, which is given to us by God. But what happens in a lot of times is We hear this through a political lens, as if I'm making some political statement. What I want you to know is I'm not. What I'm saying is if we are God's people, we have to take this stuff seriously. And it may have implications for how we do things politically, but that's not my motivation. Can you hear that? My motivation here is that I want you to follow Jesus as closely as you can. And we can't just pretend like this isn't in the book, because it makes us uncomfortable. OK? Untime out. Unshunned. I don't know how that. Works. <laughs> Here's what I know. Some of you will take this and go, "All right. I'm just going to have to do it. I'm going to find the immigrants and the foreigners. I'm going to love them. And you're going to leave this place and you're going to go, today, all right, I'm going to figure out where they are. And I'm going to do something nice. I'm going to see somebody who doesn't look like me. I'm going to pull up next to them in the car and say, get in, I'm taking you for a ride. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> I was at church this morning. They said, I got to love immigrants. You look different than me. Get in the car. Can I just encourage you not to do that? Not to do that. Doesn't play out the way you think it will. Most of the time. (laughs) What I know is true is that the kingdom of God is not built on shoulds and oughts. That the the king of the universe doesn't say, You should, so go do it. Because here's what I know is true. If we're motivated by shoulds and oughts, what that does is create in us guilt and shame, which is a motivator for a minute, but not a lifetime. Guilt and shame will get you moving for a second, it'll get you moving for a minute. But a lifetime of caring for foreigners is not built on should and ought. And guess what? Guess who knows that? God. God knows that, which is why he doesn't just stop there. There's this little phrase at the end of verse 19 that we need to catch. This is the proper motivation. He says, and you are to love those who are foreigners. Why? For you yourselves were foreigners. He says, you know why you should love the foreigner? You know why you should care for the one who is powerless and who is outcast and who is on the margins? Because you know what it was like to be that person. And you knew what it was like whenever people disregarded you and treated you badly and trampled you. And you know what you wish they would have done for you. Now you do those things for them. The motivation is not should or ought. It's like I remember what that was like. And here's the problem that most of us face. Most of us don't know what it's like to be powerless outcasts, do we? I mean, most of us have never lived in that place. We've never been in a place where we were the the ones on the margins and the ones who were outcasts. Most of us have never been in a place where we were not speaking the majority language. And so we don't know what it's like to be in a system that's not designed for you. We don't know what it's like to wish that we could find a friend who would help us and who would care for us. Most of us don't know what it's like to do that. This is something you can solve by world travel. Again, take up your fifth job and travel the world. And you will learn this. I want to tell you a fun story. Uh, A number of years ago, again, in my airline pilot days, uh, Jerry and I, along with my parents, um, decided to travel to France. Now, I don't speak French at all. We went to France, and one of the things that we thought would be really great was to go to the Normandy, the D-Day beaches, right? And of you ever been there? It's amazing. You should totally do it. It's amazing. But we're not people who want to be like, restricted by the tour bus and it's like you're here and you gotta go and We gotta keep moving and whatever else. So we decided, you know, what we learned is if you're in Paris, like most of the people will speak English. I just equipped myself with this phrase. I have to make sure Nate's not here so he doesn't correct how I pronounce it. Um, parlez-vous anglais? It's the only French I know. And I know there are two possible answers. Oui or non. In Paris... Most of the people, we, you speak a little bit, right? So we, I was like, well, this will work. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> so we booked a train ticket from Paris to the sort of launching off town. in. It, it, I was pronouncing it wrong for a long time. It, it spells C-A-E-N. I thought it was Cayenne. It's not. It's Con. I was corrected. We get to this place, and we had booked a, a, a rental car. From a place that I was pretty sure would speak English, Hertz. (laughs) They have made it. Hertz has made it to foreign countries. So we booked this car uh, because I was like, man, if we get if we get there, they'll speak English because Hertz is an English word, right? I think. (laughs) So I was like, well, we'll just get there and we'll rent the car and then we'll drive and you know it'll be great. It'll be you know we'll, we'll. We'll get to do it at our own pace. It'll be phenomenal. So, you know, there was only one hole in my plan. I don't speak French. So we get there to Caen, get off the train, and I walk up to the coffee shop. There's a lady behind the coffee shop uh, counter, and I said, parlez-vous anglais? And she said, no. And I was like, hmm. My dad looked at me. He's like, well, what are we going to do? I said, wander around till we find Hertz I guess I don't I don't know what to do I'm stuck you know this train terminal was small there was no rental car facility in the train terminal we walked out front and I thought well maybe we walk out the Hertz will be across the street nope wasn't across the street I look this way I look that way and my dad's like well what are we going to do I said we're in a French-speaking country and we don't speak French We're going to wander around until until somebody either has pity on us or we stumble across the herds. And for the first time, I understood what it was like to be in a place where I have no clue how to navigate this system. And I started to get a glimpse of what it was like to be an immigrant who comes to this country because they want a better life. And they come here because God has led them to this place And they get off the boat or they get off the airplane and they don't speak any English. And they're drawn here by something that they're not sure about. Either it's God's leading, certainly it's God's leading. And they're here and they don't speak any English. And they're wandering around hoping that somebody will have pity and help them. I knew something in that moment that I never knew before. Now, I'm here, obviously, so we did not get lost forever. We uh, eventually found the Hertz. I looked both ways, and I was like, I don't know. That looks promising. We wandered down. Eventually, we did find the Hertz, and we were in luck. Hertz does speak English, at least in Caen. And it was a great time. But what I learned was that there are people who come near to us all the time. God brings people from the world close to you and close to me. And their hope is that somebody will be an advocate. And in the divine providence of God, he puts them close to you and close to me that we can be kindness, the kindness of God to these people. Because he's already working there. But there's an even more foundational way than traveling the world you can begin to have conversations with people and have them in such a way that you don't have to fix their experience and you don't have to like you know make it okay that their experience has been hard I've had a number of conversations in this city with different people from different places had a conversation Betty helped us have with, with a friend from Sudan, I've had, I had a conversation uh, three weeks ago now with a guy in my Uber car who uh, was from Iraq and then Jordan and then here and he talked about what it was like to come here and not speak any English and what it was like to learn English And then how his brother was killed in Iraq, so his brother's wife came here and he took her in. She still doesn't speak any English. And I listened to this guy in the back of the car have a conversation with a doctor to get her a doctor's appointment. Because she doesn't speak any English. And the way that works, you can have conversations with people and just listen to their experience. And you can gain some understanding in that way about what it's like to be a foreigner in this place. But there's an even more foundational way. And I'll close with this thought. Every one of us can begin because every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, has had an experience of God's mercy. I said last week it's got an experience of God's mercy that moves us into doing God's justice in the world. Every single one of us was born into a world that has been messed up by sin. Every single one of us has been born into a family as we talked about over the last 2 days of emotionally focused uh, has been born into a family that was trying their best but made mistakes. And messed us up. Every single one of us has been born into structures where sin is prevalent and has ruined relationships. It has made a mess of relationships. Every single one of us knows what it's like to be in a place where things are not working and even our best efforts make it worse. Because sin is prevalent. Every one of us knows what it's like to be an outsider of God's family. We know what it's like to not have any way in. And yet God did not want to leave us there. He came to earth in the person of Jesus so that he could take on the justice of God and extend to us the mercy of God. And that's what happened in the cross, that Jesus took on all of the corruption, all of the mess, So that God's justice could be enacted. And he extended to us God's mercy. And we have been brought near because of the mercy of God. We all know what it's like to have been on the outside looking in. And if you're in touch with that transition that you have made from being outside of the family of God to now being inside the family of God, you know what it's like to be an outsider wishing you could find your way in. And you know what it's like to be an insider. But as I've already said, God's bend is always to who's not yet here. And so when God welcomes you into the family by his mercy... He says, now, would you help me welcome those that are not yet here? Would you help me give care and provision to those who are far? Would you help give direction to this person who's not sure where to go? Would you join me as we care for foreigners? Would you join me as we care for the outsider? Friends, this is the motivation for loving foreigners, for loving those who are far from Jesus. It's because we've known what it's like to be on the outside. And it wasn't because we were the the best or the brightest. It wasn't because we had the highest IQ or God looked at us and said, that one, that one's got potential, I'll take that one. It's just because we've been recipients of the radical mercy of God. He says, "Now that you're in, will you help me go get the rest of them, friends?" That's our invitation. That's what God invites us into. And it's a role that I think we have to play. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release His kingdom in and through you today, for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.